the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. Run your law firm the right way. This is the Maximum Liar Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I'm Jim Hacking. And I'm Tyson Mutrix. What's up, Jimmy? Tyson, I heard a rumor that you wear the same clothes every day. Is this true? How have I not noticed this in the last five years? It's not the exact same clothes. I don't like wear yesterday's clothes, but I wear the exact same outfit. I've talked about it before. I have the same pants I wear. I have the same shirt I wear. And in the wintertime, I have the same sweaters I wear. So I absolutely hate to admit this, but I heard that this is a sign of genius. Uh, well, I don't know about that, but I will tell you, it's extremely easy because I know what I wear every day. I just have different colors of clothes. That's all it is. It's that, really easy. I know what I wear. That's it. So I get much guff for my cargo shorts, but my go-to is my Duluth trading heavy level t-shirts and my cargo shorts and my sandals, and I'm good to go. Yeah, it just makes it makes your life so much easier whenever you just you go in your closet, you know what you're gonna wear. I mean, I have the same underwear I wear, <laughs> the same socks I wear. Like it's one of those things that like, you know, I'm sure we like I'm gonna say this and it's gonna resonate with a lot of people. Like you buy something and you think it's gonna fit you and it's gonna look good, and then you get it home and it doesn't. I was really sick of that. And so I found something that works on each of those categories and I like it. So perfect. Yeah. Well, speaking of perfect, let's get to our guest today. Her name is Brooke Bove, and she's a lawyer in Santa Ana, California. Yes, that's right. And, and she's been a great new member of the Guild. We wanted to have her on. She was my sitting buddy at the conference. She sat in the back taking notes, and I got to sit with Brooke for a while. And Brooke, we're welcoming you to the show. Thanks, guys. You know, on the clothing thing, I've heard that that's a sign. Of, I mean, a lot of CEOs and like the big guys do that. Like Steve Jobs wore the same thing all the time because... You're right, Tyson. It's decision fatigue. Like you make so many decisions every day. If you can minimize the amount of decisions you have to make, your brain is free to do other things. So, yeah, I don't know, but it's made my life easier for sure. If you've not tried it, just like pick one shirt and one pair of pants in your closet that works well for you. Just order 10 of them. Like just order a bunch <laughs> of them and just wear them. It's just, it works really well. It's also the argument that they use for like school uniforms, right? Like then the kids don't have like, then everybody just knows what everybody's wearing. That's it. Yeah, nice. I've never heard that argument. That's actually good. All right. So Brooke, what's back to you though? Tell us about <laughs> your journey and how you got to where you are now. It's a really long one, but you know, I grew up in Wyoming. I grew up in a small town and I just knew that there was more than that out in the world. So I joined the army right out of high school and kind of bebopped around the country for about 10 years. And then um, 
you know, part of that in the army and part of that just as an explorer after the army. And then I uh, eventually went to paralegal school and then I was working for this attorney and he was like, what are you doing here? Go to law school. And so I went to law school and he was a personal injury attorney. So then I ended up because of that, I kind of ended up going through a couple different personal injury firms as a lawyer. And I just got to this point where I liked some parts of litigation and I didn't like others. And the parts I liked was the legal writing. And then I found myself doing trades with people in my firm, like, I'll write that motion for you if you take this deposition for me, because I really hate taking depositions. And so I kind of just became the writer of the firm. And then eventually I just said, me handling cases is not what I want to do. I don't want to manage cases. I don't want to litigate. Really, I want to just write. I want to do the legal writing. So I left and um, now I have my own appellate firm. I did my first appeal, you know, maybe four or five years ago, and I really liked it. And I won, which is not a common occurrence at the appellate level. (laughs) And so I got kind of like pulled in that way. So now I do a lot of civil appeals. But during the pandemic, which is when I started my firm, there wasn't a lot of appeals happening because there weren't a lot of trials happening, right? If there's no trials, there's nothing to appeal. So I started getting asked by a bunch of my friends to do ghostwriting for them. And, you know, like, again, I'm just writing briefs for other people in their cases, but I really liked it. And there was just a big need for it. So now I have like, I think I have four contract attorneys that help me do the ghostwriting for other people and mostly within the Southern California area, but definitely, you know, only in California for now. But there's just such a big need for that. And that's a whole that especially trial attorneys, not a lot of them like to write they don't like to sit down for six to 10 hours and write a brief. So there's a need there. <laughs> and uh, it's just really become like my the bigger part of my business is that ghostwriting. So I, you know, I found a thing that I liked and I, I ran with it. When I hear things like there's a real need there, that makes my ears peak up, right? Because that means there's a market out there. So how are you going to leverage that? How do you tap into that? And how do you sort of market yourself for those lawyers that are looking for that kind of help? Because I would imagine there's many listening to this podcast at the moment. <laughs> well, you know, it started just within my network, which is it's a pretty large one in California. I'm part of some organizations of trial attorneys, you know, like local ones and statewide ones and, you know, AAJ and like nationally, I'm, you know, I have those networks and you write something and you do well for them and they recommend you or, you know, so I'm out at networking things a lot and social media. I have, you know, I talk about legal writing a lot and I have a YouTube channel and I'm really starting to ramp up the social media stuff now. So yeah, but the goal is really to take this national because I think it is, you know, we're ghostwriting. So we're not, you know, I don't know the legalities of it, of moving to different states, but I don't, there's not a problem with because ghostwriting, I'm not signing my name to anything. I'm not, you know, as long as I can do legal research and I can look up the rules and what the law is and the procedural formalities of different kinds of motions. It's a thing that can go national. And that that is the goal to bring it national. So part of it is being in group networking groups like this, like Maximum Lawyer. And part of it's, you know, just exploiting the network and the friends that I already have and tapping into their networks as well. Like with appellate attorneys, I always imagine you have to get over somewhat of a hurdle with some of these attorneys, because I'm assuming that some of these attorneys, they want to cover up their mistakes and their appeal. It's an assumption I make about them. Is that true or is that, am I just making that up in my head? I mean, there's definitely mistakes that I find. I think that a lot of times they come and they don't know about the mistakes until I kind of have to point them out and say, look, if you had done it this way, we'd be sitting a lot in a lot better position, but that's just the hands we get dealt. And like, that's how you learn lessons as an attorney is that sort of thing. So I don't really find that. I find that most people would rather me ghostwrite than have me handle the appeal because they really just want their name on it. And I don't have that ego thing where I need my name to be on appellate decisions. So 
I'm totally fine with ghostwriting. And I find that that's more the ego problem than people worried about their mistakes. And I don't really find a ton of mistakes. I just find that, you know, if you had talked to me sooner, we could have set you up better for this potential appeal. Yeah. So let's talk about the logistics of your firm. So I know it's you and and you said you have some team members. How does it work internally? Yeah. So people will contact me and say, I need you to write this project. It's a, this particular kind of motion or opposition. You know, I have a Slack channel and then I say to my, so I put it out there. I'd say, all right, these are the new projects that we have this month. Like who's up for what? And they kind of just pick and choose. This is what I'm capable of this week or this month or whatever. And I have practice Panther. So the writers can log in and, you know, get to the documents that they need to access and, and that sort of thing. But really it's just a, I have systems in place, like for each type of motion, you have to, um, here's the steps you go through. And at this step, you have to contact me and set up a time for us to go over what you've done so far to make sure you're on the right track, to make sure that the stuff is happening the way it needs to, and that we're not missing anything along the way. And then at the end, you have to set up a time with me to kind of go over the final brief before we submit it to the client. So that's kind of how I do it. If you write for me, you've got to follow my systems. You've got to follow it my way because in the end, it's going to be people thinking it's coming from me. And I want to make sure we have a good quality product. This is sustainable for the near future. But really what I'm doing is hoping that these writers that are writing for me now are going to be able to come on and help train the next line of writers that come on. So they're learning my systems. They're learning how I like things and how to do things. And we're perfecting the systems now because we find flaws in them pretty regularly. But that's kind of the goal is to do that and build from here. Brooke, I want to ask you about something that I think is a brilliant stroke of marketing. And that is your podcast literature. I think I'm saying that right. Will you tell us a little bit about that and what the podcast is about? Yeah. So I like talking about books and I like talking to lawyers. So I kind of can combine it. And I each week I well, I don't do it every week. I'm kind of at a like every other week right now because it's just a lot of work, the podcast, because for each episode, I've got to read a book. I choose an attorney guest. The attorney guest comes on and we talk. So I've got to prepare for an interview of the attorney, which is about half hours worth of time. And then we spend a half hour to 45 minutes. They pick a book. And so we talk about the book and what we like about it and how like we kind of nerd out over it a little bit. And then we do um, an issue spotting thing at the end as if the fiction book was a bar exam question and like, what are the legal issues we can pull out of it? And so we do, you know, where's the contracts? Where's the property issues? Where's the family law stuff? Like what torts, who's suing who for what in this book, you know? And then, so people, a lot of times think that they've got to come out and pick a law related book, like a book about like a big lawsuit or something like that. But the point is you can find when we become attorneys, we like our viewpoints change, right? We see everything differently. And that's kind of the interest, like what I think is interesting, like the books that I read before I was an attorney, when I read them after I became an attorney, like my viewpoint on them changes. And so like every book is a legal book really now. So, and also I just like puns. So law literature. Jim, yeah. like, I'm, I want to see what your thoughts are on that. I think it's brilliant. I, think I it's love it. Brilliant. I absolutely love it. It's to your target market. It's law related, but it's still fun and not boring. And I love everything about it. If you have me on, I'm going to pull out Bleak House, which is this Ooh. monster Charles oh, yeah. Dickens book. I already read it. I've so read I would it. be, I'd be cheating. Oh, you've read it too. So we can I've do read it. it too. Yeah. I mean, Tyson, it's, it. it's, it's a Charles Dickens book. It's like that thick. And it's about this estate litigation that goes on for 20 years. And at the end of the day, all the money's gone. The lawyers have all the money. So, I mean, I'd have to brush up on what I read, but it'd be yeah. a great, a great book. So Brooke, I was just writing down on my little sticky note here. It says briefs, Brooke Bove. And the reason <laughs> for that is because I think I might have some work for your team 
in the oh. future. But in writing that down, I was thinking, ooh, briefs by Brooke is like three Bs in a row, right? Like, yeah, I kind of like that. The we could do four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, this is really exciting. I think this is a great model. I mean, of course, you know, our friends at Law Clerk who were at the conference and they they have a similar thing, but I think that, you know, it's always hard, I think, to broker that connection between the people that have work that needs to get done and the people that want to do the work. So if you find a way to build both those markets or those resources, then I think the whole thing can work. I think there's a huge need. I mean, you're absolutely right. I think Tyson's question of, oh boy, if I give my case over to Brooke to look at for an appeal, that they might come back, she might come back and look at me. That's not going to probably happen because that's one, bad for business. And two, you're not really going to win an appeal in most cases, except maybe a criminal case pointing to the mistake of a lawyer. You need something better than that or bigger than that. So I think just conceptually, I want to say the whole model makes sense to me and I like it. Yeah. So Law Clerk is a little bit different model because they are just a, a connector, right? They're saying, here's the people who, who have a need on one hand, and here's the people who can fulfill that need on the other hand. And here's the portal through which these two sides can meet. And mine's a little different because, and honestly, like it's uncharted territory. I don't know any other companies that do this where you could just say, look, I have a brief and, you know, I have a, a dream of a website where people can be like, all right, here's my brief. Here's when it's due get it back to me. You know, like, here's the stuff I need and here's the information you need to do it, get it done and get it back to me. And where it's just submitted and we as a group, as a company, take care of that and do the writing for you. So yeah, I'm not sure exactly how it works at scale because at some point I'm going to have to stop being quality control over every brief we do, which is where where we're at right now. That's not sustainable like at scale. So that's going to be a, a function of training the people as they're coming up and how I like to do it. Because so I was thinking about this like six months ago or maybe nine months ago, I had this thing where I was like, I just wish I was more organized. I wish I was more methodical about how I do things about how I just wish I would had my shit together kind of, sorry for swearing. But then I realized I really am methodical. Every brief I write, I, I attack in the exact same way. I always start at a very specific place and I move through my steps and like, that's the way I check to make myself to make sure that I'm catching everything that I'm not missing specific evidence that might need to go in to the brief or whatever, and that I haven't missed an angle of research or, you know, I have a very specific method that I go through. And that is something that is copyable, that is, can be followed by other people. And so then I was like, well, this is my system. And it kind of started to really click for me. And now I call it my order of operations for writing. You, you, um, that you just, you have to go through that specific model in that specific way. And so if you attack briefs that way, you know, they might not all be super pretty and floral and really great language, you know, use of language, but they're, but they're going to be substantive and they're going to be functional and, and successful if the law is in your favor. (laughs) So I love that you were able to identify that you're able to step back, identify that, and then use that to your advantage because that it's like, it's that perfectionist mindset that people have and they beat themselves up. They don't give themselves credits. And then they have these blinders on to the positives in their life and they can't use that to their advantage. So you're able to do that. How do you think you can use that when it comes to your marketing to increase that consistency when it comes to your marketing? Well, yeah, I mean, that's definitely my, <laughs> that's my current struggle because I can't, I have a hard time being consistent with that stuff. And I kind of sit there and think, well, I'll just post something on social media when it occurs to me. And so sometimes it occurs to me six times in one day, and sometimes it occurs to me not for several days in a row, you know? So, I mean, 
the reality is I'm capable of coming up with a system and coming up with a plan. I just, I haven't yet. And so I don't know, someone was explaining this to me today. Like sometimes when you put a thing on your to-do list, it's like a, it's a chore and you're not sure how to attack it. It's if it's a thing you haven't done before, you don't know what to do. So you kind of just keep skipping it in your list. And maybe the way to break it down is the way I would break down a brief kind of like, she didn't describe it to me this way. She described it some other way, but I, I thought of it in connection with the way I write a brief. When you have an issue, sometimes you got to break it down by the elements. And sometimes each element has its own elements, right? So it becomes an outline. And sometimes that ta- the task be consistent or come up with a, a schedule of for content, for social media content. That just seems so overwhelming to me. And maybe I, what I need to do is break it down into elements, into different, to smaller steps that I do know how to do that are not foreign and so that's when she described that to me, she, I, she posted it last night and I saw it this morning. When she described that for me, I think that's probably a thing that I need to do is to do that and break it down into smaller. So it's not just this big, like looming, I have to get this right thing, which is, as you said, a, a perfectionist tendency that I have. Yeah. The Guild is an insanely productive community of lawyer entrepreneurs with a growth mindset who share their collective genius and hold each other accountable to take their careers and businesses to the next level. But in 2021, we are upping the game. In addition to exclusive access to the group, FaceTime with the two of us, discounted pricing for live events, and front seat exposure to live recording and podcasts and video, we are mapping out for members the exact growth playbook with our new program, Maximum Lawyer in Minimum Time. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships and experience content specifically designed to complement your plan for growth. For a limited time only, the Maximum Lawyer and Minimum Time program will be offered for free to all new Guild members. Join us by going to maxlawguild.com. You're listening to the Maximum Lawyer podcast. Our guest today is Brooke Bove. She's an appellate lawyer from Southern California. Brooke, changing subjects a little bit, I was struck by a post that you had in the Guild a few weeks ago, and it was about being a law firm owner and a single mom. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that and sort of what your experience has been and sort of what advice you might have for other single parents running a law firm. Yeah, sure. (laughs) I don't know if I have advice too much, but yeah, I got divorced in my first year of practice and I had an infant child. And so I had just started a new job and (laughs) a couple months into my new job, I, I had to tell my boss, look, I don't want this to affect my work, but you should probably know what's going on in my life. And I'm going to do my best not to. And he was very nice. He was like, look, I don't want you to worry about losing a husband and a job in the same year. So you're fine, but like, just keep the communication open. So that was really great and supportive of him. But um, yeah, it was really hard. I have an excellent co-parent. I will say that. And that helps a lot, but it sucks because she's gone half the time. And so basically what I do is the time that she's with him, that's when I load in as much work stuff and as much networking and as much you know, longer days as possible. And the days she's with me, I do less work and I spend more time doing her stuff. And so I'm lucky in that respect. I know a lot of single moms have their kids full time and they have to do all their stuff. So it, it is hard and it makes a decision like opening your own firm or going out to start your own practice even more difficult because you don't have a supporting salary there to pay the rent or pay the health insurance or, or anything like that. And so it's all on me. But I also knew that because it's all on me, I have to do the things that I can do to set us up for the future. So while she's little, it's probably okay for me to make less money and to spend more time. You know, I could spend time while she's napping and she sleeps a lot more when she's younger. So like, that's the time really that I kind of said, I have to do this. I have to, if I'm going to do it at all, it has to be now. And I'm not going to be happy. I'm not going to be a good mom if I'm unhappy in my work. So 
I kind of made that decision, even though it was hard financially. And, you know, here we are. And I don't think I did everything right. And I don't, you know, who knows if, how people like what the right thing is anyways. But I also wanted her to, to have an example of a mom that, that goes for what she wants and, and feels like she can do things. And, you know, even if I fail, okay, she's going to learn the lesson of it's okay to fail. And I just wanted to set that example for her. And, you know, I guess I'm a little more comfortable with risk than a lot of people maybe, but, you know, you get through the first year and you're like, all right, I didn't die. I'm okay. <laughs> We're okay. Uh, we're not, you know, we got through that year. That was probably the hardest year. Let's try it again. So you get through the second year and as you get through it and you grow and you (laughs) go through a lot of therapy (laughs) and you get to a point where you're fine being on your own. And then you get to a point where you're too comfortable being on your own and you start in a a new relationship and it's, it's a lot hard, you know, like that comes with its own obstacles too. But I think, yeah, just being happy with and comfortable with where you are is what you have to do. And that's a thing that I'm preaching and that I'm not always good at, but, and just, you know, I don't know, put the focus on her and not on me. I love that. I mean, I think you're setting a a great example for moms that are wanting to do the same thing that you're doing. So I think that's great. So keep it up. Thanks. In that same vein, who are some who's in your life that you can add to help free up some of your time? Because whenever you, whenever it is just you, it can be difficult. So who's in your life that you can add to your firm to help you spend more time with your daughter? Well, yeah, I have a couple like part-time virtual assistants, but um, I really think I'm at the point where I'm getting a lot of work now. And I think it's time to add a more full-time virtual assistant that can take off. You know, I recently outsourced my bookkeeping. That was hard for me to let go and spend that money, but I think it's going to be for the best in the future. So that's good. But I spend a lot of time in my uh, software and, you know, inputting the details and uploading the documents and making sure everybody has what they need and coordinating things. And I think that's a thing probably that could be done by an assistant if I could just pull the trigger on that. So that would be helpful. And, you know, (laughs) my dream is to hire someone to like drive my daughter to and from school because it's a long drive. It's like a 45 minute drive each way. And to have that time to be able to work would be good. But on the flip side, that's time that we have really great conversations and we seeing a lot in the car, you know, do like that's kind of our a fun time for us too. So I I also have a hard time giving that up. But I also I spend a lot of time doing the driving. And so Getting somebody to help with the kids is good. I did outsource, you know, stuff like house cleaning and, you know, that stuff to make my life easier. I don't do a lot of like cooking, you know, I, I take the short, easy way there. And I, but for the business, I think it's the virtual assistants. My virtual assistant right now is just kind of a part time technical, like he helps with video editing and content kind of stuff, but not so much like in my business. Well, I just want to say how impressed I am by everything you've got going on. I think you're doing an amazing job. I think you should be really, really proud of yourself. I'm really glad we did this because, you know, a couple minutes in the morning on Monday and a couple minutes on Friday doesn't get to sort of reveal the true you and all the cool things you got going. I'm as excited about what you have going on as I was about Nicole Christie. I just think you've got a niche. You've got a plan. You're doing all the right things. So I think you should be really proud of yourself. Thank you. And I'll say, you know, Joining the guild was an it was an easy decision once I found this group of people, but it really is just so wonderful. And going to the conference and meeting everybody was really wonderful. And you know, just really increasing those connections. And that, that's the other thing I was going to say about my podcast is that it's more of a way to bond with people if you can find things that you have in common. And this group that you guys have created has like you've just 
pulled together people with the same mindsets. It's an encouraging forum where everybody can go and feel comfortable. And that conference, honestly, was the first time I ever went to a conference where I didn't feel like I was going to watch, you know, masters speaking. There were masters speaking, but I felt like I was going to be with my peers. And that's the first time I've ever felt that way going to a conference. I really have the imposter syndrome a lot when it comes to conferences and not this one. I just felt immediately comfortable. And that's because of what you guys have created. So thank you for that. Well, that's awesome. We'll have to have you up on stage next year so you can keep it going. Okay. (laughs) I love it. Thanks. I love it for sure. All right. We are going to wrap things up. Before I do, I want to remind everyone. I told Jimmy I was going to remind everybody at the beginning of the podcast. I forgot, Ah. but I was going to ask people to give us a a five-star review, please. I meant to do it next podcast and I'm going to remind everyone, but we want to make sure we spread the word. If you're interested in the guild, go to maxlawguild.com. And we're already taking tickets or accepting tickets for MaxLawCon 2022. You can go to MaxLawCon2022.com to purchase your tickets. Jimmy, what is your hack of the week? Many years ago, when we first started the firm, we would have a firm retreat. We would take a day out of the office, just two of us or three of us, and go and talk about fixing stuff. I didn't know anything that I know now or any of the things we talk about in the guild or on the podcast or whatever. We were all just learning at the time. But There is no substitute for taking time away from your firm, not talking about a particular case, but talking about how you can move things forward. And now that we've grown, we're going to have our retreat in a couple of weeks. And it's like booked solid. Like everybody's competing for stage time. Everybody's competing for the mic. And like everyone's wants to get on so they can brag about the cool things that their department is doing. But it's also forcing us to make a lot of decisions as the retreat approaches. So in and of itself, the day itself has value, but also the whole process of getting ready for it and sort of resetting yourself for the next six months or however long it is between your retreats. I can't recommend it enough. I love it. And your people are teaching. So that means that they're driving that point home even more and they're, they are mastering their crafts even more. So that, I think that's awesome. Brooke, you're up next. What is your tip or hack? I really struggled with this because I feel like you guys have said everything there is to say. I will just say that I think the thing that makes my life most easy and enjoyable is audiobooks. And that's the fiction books. And like I couldn't do the podcast I do if I didn't use audiobooks to read the books that people choose. You know, I can spend my time in the car, I can multitask a lot while I'm doing audiobooks, but also it's just a pleasure to have somebody read to me. And, you know, my mom and I used to read to each other when I was growing up, and it's a comfortable way for me to read books, but it just also is really practical. And so maybe it's not super fancy or technical, but that's my hack is audiobooks. Love it. Very good. So I've got a really simple one that I stumbled upon about a week or two ago. I've got this habit of getting sticky notes and writing them, writing something down. And then like two minutes later, I'll throw it in the trash. It's just the dumbest thing. I think a lot of us probably do that. I stumbled upon on my Mac there's a sticky note function and I didn't know that it was there. And I feel like it's such a simple thing to do. Like it is right on your computer. It's like, you can just type it in. Like I, I pulled it up right now. So I, I got it pinned down to the bottom of my screen and I can just click on whatever I, I've got a sticky note. I don't have to waste paper. It is the simplest, probably maybe the simplest tip I've given in five years, but I didn't know that this existed. So it's called stickies. So if you write a bunch of sticky notes and you're sick of wasting paper, check it out. If you have a Mac, I'm sure the PCs have a function too. So Brooke, before we wrap things up, how do people get in touch with you? Oh, you can email me, be both, bovlawgroup at bovlawgroup.com. My website is bovlawgroup. 
I'm working currently on a ghostbriefing.com website, but it's not fully functional right now. So you can go look at it, but it's not great. <laughs> and you can follow me on social media. I'm just Brooke Bove on Instagram and ghost briefs is my ghostwriting Instagram. Very cool. Just so everyone knows, Bove is B-O-V-E. So yes, you can, you. that way you know how to spell it. Um, <laughs> Brooke, Brooke, thank you so much. E. In Brooke with an E. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> but thank you so much for coming on. I, I, I'm like, oh, like Jimmy said, it's it's great to learn more about you because like, the Mondays and Fridays just don't give us enough. So thank you so much. And it's been a lot of fun. Thank you guys. Thanks so much for having me. It's a real treat. You bet. Thanks, Brooke. See ya. Bye, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your host and to access more content, go to MaximumLawyer.com. Have a great week and catch you next time.